day, everyone. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. This hour, we're looking at how businesses, both big and small, are being affected by the coronavirus pandemic. Later in the hour, we're going to talk with a staff reporter at The Atlantic who says the future of retail could look really, really different in the years ahead. But up first, a business owner here in Detroit wrote an op-ed that was recently published in The New York Times. In it, she talks about her bakery, which is loved by so many here in Detroit, and whether or not they're going to be able to financially weather this storm. Jackie Victor is the owner and founder of Avalon International Breads, and she joins us now. Jackie, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Let's start with the op-ed that you published uh, in the New York Times uh, talking about your bakery, which, of course, has grown so much in the last uh, decade, really, here in in the city of Detroit has become sort of a, a, an institution, I think, uh, um, among Detroiters. Uh, you had more than 130 people working for you before all this started, and now you're down to one employee. Uh, talk about how this pandemic has just completely transformed your idea of what your business can even can even be at this point. Yeah, well, um, first of all, if I if I may, I just want to really thank you um, for the reporting you've done through this pandemic. I know I've communicated to you a little bit personally, but I just want to say that I think you've provided just an invaluable service and a lifeline for many, you know, speaking from your heart and your head. And so I just want to say that up front that just thank you very much for your work. I think you've been amazing through no, that. No, I, I really appreciate you saying that, Jackie. Yeah. So, um, well, the good news, <laughs> if you can call it that, <laughs> is we're back from 135. We're back to about 15 now. So we did um, we did close down completely. Um, but when the first order came down about the groceries, about um, restaurants having to only do takeout only, we immediately shut our um, full-service restaurants in Ann Arbor, in downtown Detroit, and then our the Biscuit Bar in New Center. We those just weren't that wasn't a viable model for us at that moment so that was just day one we kept um our willow street location our flagship store going uh for about another week uh until i had told the it you know it was getting slower and slower only doing takeout and i had told the staff really it's up to you guys when you no longer feel safe um Hmm. you you know let me know and then we're done so they let me know that following Sunday and said, we just, it, it just isn't feeling, you know, safe for us. And I said, okay, let's, then that's fine. So Monday we closed, but we had kept um, the, ba- the bakehouse open, which is on the east side, big, huge 50,000 square foot. We were down to a very small amount of products and a very small staff. But the next day, one of our, our, our some, one of our managers spiked a fever and it just, it felt too um, dangerous, really, to be working in proximity with one another, not knowing everybody's health. So we just said, you know what, this isn't, we just can't do this. So we shut down completely. 
Um, and so that was, you know, obviously like for everyone, shocking and painful. And uh, we were hopeful that because of the generous health and the generous insurance, um, unemployment insurance that the federal government was promising that people would be okay temporarily. Um, and we maintained everyone's health insurance as who was on our insurance as well. So that was, you know, that month or five weeks. And, um, but then, and so our CFO was really diligent um, in communicating with the banks, and we were in a very privileged position and lucky position because we had just done a huge refinancing. So we had a very strong uh, relationship with our bankers, and we have an amazing group of um of, of partners. And so they worked literally night and day so that when the um, PPP came back on, they hit send and we were among the first really to receive it. And, but again, that was like a privileged position because we had this amazing group of partners. We had this very, we had built up this really strong infrastructure of leadership. And so we were able to, you know, get it immediately when many, many, many others were not. Um, at the same time, that was a month after the our you know the shut the initial shutdown happened and we and then we laid off everybody. So the idea of the PPP, um, which was designed to keep people off unemployment, keep people on payroll, the idea that that would um, keep people off unemployment was already a moot point because we and met most other people in the food industry had long since laid off people and mm. they were signed up for unemployment. Mm. So that's where we stood when this. You know, when when this all when this all uh, when the PPP kind of hit, uh, we were down to one employee. So, um, so I don't know how much you want me to go into the PPP or just the future of our company. Well, I mean, you. you know, in your in your piece, one of the points you make really strongly is that this should have made it easier to reopen, and it it didn't. I mean, there there were hurdles that weren't necessarily about just about money. Yeah. Uh, Right. Well, well, because and and I mean, I have to say, like, when you look at the fact that Congress created this largest ever support for small businesses, you know, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars in literally a one week period, it makes sense why they did what they did, because the idea was we're going to put as much money towards uh, small businesses payroll to help them. To, to help them and to encourage them to keep as many people as possible on payroll. But the way that they did that was that it was a 60-day, from the day you get it, it was a 60-day loan that would turn into a grant for, it only can go for payroll, and 25% of it can go for rent and utilities. Mm-hmm. So fine. And then at 60 days, they will switch into a grant if you have 100% employment <laughs> from what your your um, previous payroll was, uh, you know, I think was the previous, uh, you know, eight to 10 weeks. So at that moment, I think they were thinking this is going to be a two-week shutdown. It'll t- maybe take a month for everyone to ramp up, and then we'll help these businesses get going. And at the end of those two months, you know, it'll, it'll be fine. So obviously, it just nobody could have imagined the kind of shutdown that happened. Um, so... Now we're looking at how many employees can we actually bring back so that this money, which is there, we can actually utilize in a responsible way. Because remember, at 60 days, when whatever money we haven't spent, so so at 60 days, if 
we do not have 100% employment, which I, I can guarantee you we don't because there is literally almost no demand. Right now, we're only baking out of the bakehouse only for grocery stores. We don't have any of our retail open yet. It's a very, very, very small amount of our capacity that at the end of 60 days, if we have these 15 out of you know however many employees we have, we will not be forgiven for the amount of money that we've spent. And the rest of that, it will turn into a loan, which sounds good except it, you have to pay it back over an 18-month period, yeah. which you know, I could break down the numbers. It just means it really would be impossible for most businesses. We were usually have a loan amortized by 5 to 15 years. It would make it literally impossible for most businesses to pay that loan back. So while the money is welcome, I think 95% of the small businesses that I know, especially food businesses where there's no demand yet, we can't use that money in the period of time in which it's allotted. Now, I will say um, I have been in contact with uh, my congressman, Congressman uh, Andy Levin. He's been working with the Small Business Committee um, in, you know, in Congress, mm-hmm. and there is conversation about extending the length of it or changing it in some other way. So, I mean, I think they're responding in real time to the real-time feedback from small business people. I want to say the other irony here is that the small business people, many of whom are my friends and I love, but they'll agree with this, the ones not in the food business, but the small business people who are who also received it, who are the least impacted by it, are going to have the most ability to use it. So, for instance, a small firm mm-hmm. that, let's say a law firm or whatever, they get it, they still have plenty of business, so they can use this PPP money to pay their staff for 60 days that loan will turn into a grant. They'll never have to pay it back, but their demand never went down. Right. So if there's an irony there that I think, you know, again, I think Congress is trying to respond in real time, but we're dealing with having to make decisions every single day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my guest is Jackie Victor. She's the founder and owner of Avalon International Breads. Uh, she published an op-ed in the New York Times recently about the struggles her business has encountered because of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, the struggles to keep employees paid, the struggles to keep the business afloat. Uh, We're talking this hour about the effect of the pandemic on retail business and other small businesses uh, in our community and around the country. How different are things going to look when this is all over? Will these businesses be able to survive all of this and come back to perform the way that they did before? We want to hear from you as well. If you're a small business owner, call and tell us how the pandemic is affecting your livelihood. Uh, How would you like to see retail transform uh, after COVID-19? If you're a shopper, Uh, Tell us how long it's going to take you to feel safe enough to return to restaurants and shops in your community and get back to the kind of commercial interactions that uh, defined our economy before all this happened. Does the thought of going somewhere small and locally owned sound more appealing and potentially safer than maybe going to a big department store right now, for instance? Uh, Do things like curbside pickup make you feel more secure? Do you want to see that precautionary service stick around maybe for a while? 
Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Jackie, before we go to, to, to listeners, um, I, I want you to talk a little about what you think the future of your business is. I mean, I, I it's a business that I was pretty accustomed to, to, to patronizing. It's close by the, the radio station here in Midtown. Um, but it's a place that that is pretty tight space-wise uh, and where the idea of social distancing really doesn't come into play. I, I, I wonder if you've given a lot of thought yet to what that space even would 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 feel and 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 look like after this and whether whether the business that you built uh, is is going to be supportable in a world that looks really different. Mm-hmm. Well, the the larger question of our business model, whether it's supportable or not, you know, has is is really a larger question that has to do with our bakehouse and manufacturing and all of these retail establishments. So that's a kind of a larger question that we're really trying to sort through day to day. We will. I am. I I refuse to believe that we will not survive in some form. I just, it is not an option for me, but it will, there's no question the business will look different um, and we just don't know how yet. But I will, we can just focus on Willis for a second because I think that's our flagship store is what most people are familiar with and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of love around it. So I will say that, that the most difficult thing is exactly what you said, that, you know, we are a triple bottom line business, earth community and employees. And it is hard to think of how you create a sense of community when people can't sit in, in a place and people can't sit in a small space. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things we're really thinking of. And, you know, the, the focus on customer service we've always had will become even more important on the phone and in a small context. But we are looking right now at changing our model a little bit um, in the short term and kind of larger in a larger way in the, in the middle and long term. So there will, won't be to begin with when we open up. There won't be indoor seating. It will be, you know, to go. There will be work in a call concierge uh, curbside where we bring it out to the curb, online ordering, delivery, um, all that. Um, there'll be, I think our patio will take on new importance through the summer and maybe even heating elements in the fall. But longer term, we were looking at, we, we were way long overdue for a renovation anyway, and we were about to start looking at it. And then we realized we needed to wait and see which model would be sustainable. So we are looking at changing the space Mm. to expand the seating and condense the back area so that we can still continue to provide product for people who and, and service for people who do want to stay and really start to be responsive and look at and listen for the next maybe four months about what kind of food people are actually um, going to be wanting and going to be wanting to stay there and also take away. Our food's always been largely takeaway anyway. So I think in that way, we're actually in a good position. But um, but I think there's going to be some niches and some services that we're going to be in a, in a good position there to pivot and to be able to meet. So um, I'm, you know, both nervous, but in a sense, I'm also optimistic because we don't have some of the same burdens in that location that other large sit-down businesses with large kitchens mm-hmm. uh, might have. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Call and tell us about your business or 
about your shopping habits and the way that they've changed during this pandemic and what your expectations are as we kind of reopen the world and try to get back to some sense of uh, normalcy in our lives. Let's start with uh, Judy in West Bloomfield. Judy, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. And first of all, Jackie, I love Avalon, especially your <laughs> chocolate chip you. salted cookies. They're absolutely <laughs> fabulous, and we're, we support your, your company all the time. I just Thank wanted you. to clarify, you had made a reference to other companies who are taking the PPP loan, and you specifically referenced law firms. So I actually am an owner, a part owner of a law firm. And as owner, we didn't take salary for over a month. Okay. So we wow. can pay our employees. So I just want to make sure that people understand that not all small businesses who are taking loans and who are in operation don't need it. Hmm. Uh, many of us do. And many of us, especially our, my industry, we're not working at full capacity at this point. You know, obviously most of our clients are are in the same situations as everybody else. And so they're not paying us as well. So, yeah, um, Judy, I was going to I was going to say, could you give us a sense of what your business was like before this and how it's changed? I mean, uh, uh, obviously you have clients who whose businesses are affected as well. Does that yeah. does that mean but they still need services, I would uh, I would assume. Yeah. Uh, give us a sense of how that's gone. So basically, I would say our collections so far are down, probably down about 40%. Mm. Wow. And at this point, our billings are starting to go down as well. We have people who need services, but there are a lot of people who are just, you know, they don't want to, they're not even contacting us at this point. Mm. So hopefully that will change. Hopefully, you know, things will, will get back to normal soon. But yeah, it's it's been a struggle and we still have our bill, you know, we we always pay all of our bills. You know, we make sure that we're not, if, if, if there's not enough money, we're not going to get paid. So we pay our employees, we put, you know, we pay all, all of our bills to our vendors, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate the call, Judy, and, and the information. Uh, Jackie, when just listening to her, it, it kind of reminds me, though, of the interconnectedness of business. In other words, that, that it's not just, um, uh, retail or consumer kinds of revenue that businesses de- depend on. It's business-to-business kinds of transactions. Law firms are good examples of that. But but even even your business uh, is, is involved with exchanges with other businesses. And that's the part of the economy that I think uh, is, is starting to kind of melt down and, and that people have real worries about how it comes back together. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And Judy, thank you for calling in. Um, I did not mean actually by that that people shouldn't have taken the loan, not at all. I think that going down the road, probably every business, whether it's architects or marketing firms or whatever, will be affected. Some of whom right now who have contracts are not affected right now, so they're able to pay their staff and, and they're just able to bring in the revenue. But I do I do agree with you, Stephen, and I totally, I hear you, Judy, that I think the, the economy as we move along, that the, the damage and, the, and the, the, the pain is going to gradually be felt throughout the economy. So I'm not saying that these loans, that people shouldn't have taken the loans. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying right now that the businesses that are like literally work at a hard stop, um, a lot of us aren't able to even use the, the loans now to turn them into grants 
in order to pay for our employees because there's zero demand. We're not at 40%. We're at zero. So I, I think it's just a question of timing. I think the PPP will be effective for some businesses, and, they are, and they'll be needed. But for right now, that short 60-day period is just not useful for businesses like ours that, that completely were curtailed or 80% curtailed. Mm. Uh, before we end the segment, I, I wonder if you can give us a sense of your sense of time and when things will start to come back together for you. That's one of the things that we're talking a lot about a lot about here in Michigan in terms of reopening the economy and sort of easing restrictions. What does your timetable look like for Avalon getting back to some idea of what the future what the future of that business will look like? Yeah, I think it would be hard for us. First, I don't think there's going to be any, there's not going to be new normal. Um, I mean, there will be a new normal, but there's not a normal that's anything like, I think, anything we recognize. What, what will we happen had with before, our cater- yeah. Right, what will happen with our catering business when there's, you know, half as many people downtown or our downtown business when there's, you know, half as many people working every day or a quarter as many people. So we really, really don't know about that. But I think taking one, one, putting one foot in front of the other, being very cautious and careful and yet expansive and creative, I can't see any real stability happening for at least six months until, because first of all, there might be another lock, you know, there might, there might be another wave of the virus. So we might have to slow or shut the economy down again. So I think by 180 days, we'll have a sense of what the new normal looks like. And then we'll be able to really focus and, and, and some people are just going to have to shut parts of their businesses down um, that they haven't shut down by then and said, you know, this this part is working really, really great. So we're going to dump our resources into that. So I just don't see any way that we'll know anything until at least the fall. But we won't really have a good sense, I think, until more like November towards the end of the year. Okay, Jackie Victor, founder and owner of Avalon International Breads. Always great to talk with you. Thanks for being with us on Detroit Today. Thank you so much, Stephen. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with Derek Thompson of The Atlantic about the future of retail. We want to continue to hear from you. If you're a business owner, how has the coronavirus pandemic affected your livelihood? If you're a shopper, what are you doing differently now? And what are your expectations about how you will get goods in the future? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Delphine and Warren, Ben and St. Clair Shores will hear from you next as well. You can also go to Facebook to Twitter and put comments there. We'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. To Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. WDET is really glad to share the following messages from our donors and their heroes as part of today's Giving Tuesday Now. Sam in Washington, D.C. writes, This donation is in memory of longtime Detroit Today caller Tom Wilson. Andrea in Bloomfield Hills honors all of the grocery store workers who are keeping food on our tables. 
Jocelyn and Gross Point Farms gives in honor of Dr. Mitchell Dombrowski. Jerry and West Bloomfield honors heroes Dr. Joseph Prey and CCU nurse Molly Benny caring for COVID-19 patients in Tacoma, Washington. Katrina and Ferndale honors the heroes at Vista Maria. And thanks to Susan in West Bloomfield, Michael in Detroit, Martha in Rochester, Lisa in New York, Michael in Farmington Hills, Alexander in Franklin, and Rob in Ann Arbor for your gifts on this special Giving Tuesday. You can make your gift and share your message at WDET.org. All these and more can be found on WDET's Facebook page. Again, this hour we are talking about retail, how retail has been affected by the coronavirus pandemic and what it will look like in the future after this passes and we get back to some sort of normal existence in this country and around the world. We want to hear from you. If you're a business owner, give us a call and tell us how you're doing through all of this, how the PPP has maybe helped your business or not. Uh, Also give us an idea of what you think the future looks like for your business. Uh, Will things come back together? Will they look anything like they did before. Uh, We also want to hear from you if you're a consumer, if you're shopping. Has your shopping changed dramatically because of the coronavirus pandemic? And are you maybe nervous about the idea of getting back to going to stores and restaurants, which will be crowded with other people uh, because of coronavirus? Is this permanently changing the way you see that kind of activity. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Joining us now to talk more about the future of small business and retail in this country is Derek Thompson. He is a staff writer at The Atlantic. Uh, Derek, welcome back to Detroit Today. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So you've written a piece recently uh, in which you asked who will emerge intact from the pandemic purgatory and who will not. And you distilled the responses of more than a dozen business owners, retail analysts, economists and others. Uh, Briefly start by telling us what you uncovered based on what those people told you about what our future looks like. Well, maybe the best way to break it up is to say that there are going to be accelerations, interruptions, and inventions. Um, We'll go through all of those. So I think most importantly, what crises do is they accelerate trends. So, you know, you think about something like the rise of of delivery food or the rise of e-commerce. That was already happening, obviously, before the pandemic struck. Um, But the crisis is going to accelerate all of those. You see people buying way more online than they used to. Uh, They used to order out, you know, sometimes and go into restaurants sometimes. Now, almost the entire restaurant business uh, for some uh, for some firms is delivery or takeaway only. Um, So those are accelerations. Then there are interruptions. Uh, so dine-in restaurants would be an interruption. Um, I think we'll be eating in restaurants in the future. I don't think this is the end of the dine-in restaurant business. Um, but right now, for the vast majority of cities in the U.S., it is uh, illegal to uh, have dinner uh, inside of a restaurant. Um, that's an interruption. That, that, that's something that has changed, but it will hopefully change back even um, if it's amended for social distancing and public hygiene. And then finally, there are some inventions. So, for example, I think that there's a lot of people, especially older Americans, who are discovering 
uh, the efficiencies and joys and uh, sometimes inconveniences of online grocery delivery. Uh, they have discovered an Instacart. They discovered uh, all sorts of other ways that they can get food to their front door without actually leaving their front door. And so that that's an invention of a trend. So as I sort of look through the retail landscape, what I'm constantly thinking about, maybe this is a an exercise that can serve um, for predicting the future in any capacity, is what are we accelerating, what are we inventing, and what is merely being interrupted but will likely uh, uh, snap back in the near future. So, so you also write that big business might get bigger and mom-and-pop shops won't fare as well. Is this mainly due to the financial cushion that big businesses have? I mean, they tend to have uh, cash reserves and, and things like that. Or are there other dynamics that, uh, that are, are coming to bear on that, on that phenomenon? And speak to the, the inequality that, uh, that that kind of doubles down on. It is already too hard, I think, to start a business and make it successful. Um, it, it sounds like you're saying that's going to get harder for people who just don't have the kind of resources that, that large businesses do. Yeah, uh, I'm going to actually take those questions um, in, in the opposite order that, that you asked them, but they're, they're exactly the questions to ask. So on inequality, I think one of the you know, quieter tragedies of, of this crisis is that for the last five years, this wasn't uh, reported that often in the news media, but you saw really impressive wage growth for low-income workers. Um, the pandemic has really shut the door on that. Uh, the, the largest industries that are going to be hit hard uh, by the COVID crisis are retail and leisure, those tend to be really low-income sectors, uh, whereas you, all, you have you know, jobs like you know, bankruptcy lawyer uh, or a doctor where there's still a lot of demand uh, for that kind of economic activity. And as a result, I do think uh, that even though early uh, in this episode you, you heard a lot of governors saying that um, COVID was the great equalizer, they were trying to argue that uh, everyone should feel like they have an equal shot of getting it, which, which is a, a warning that I understand, even if it's sort of statistically inaccurate. Um, but I think it's more accurate to say that COVID is the great unequalizer. Uh, you are going to see an increase in inequality because of the way uh, that COVID uh, directly attacks big industries that tend to employ a lot of low-wage workers um, and could punish uh, minority business owners. Mm -hmm. So that brings us to the second uh, question you asked, uh, which is actually the first question that you asked, which is about big business versus small business. Mm -hmm. And I say in the piece um, that we're about to see a big acceleration uh, in the growth of large companies, that for the last maybe 40, 50 years, you saw market consolidation, you saw more mergers, you saw the big getting bigger. Well, what happens right now is we're all having to hold our breath. I think the previous um, uh, speaker on, the, on uh, this show was talking about how her business has gone not to 40%, but to 0%. Yes. She's got to hold her breath. Everyone has got to hold their breath. And it just happens that the biggest companies have the biggest lungs. They have more cash reserves. They have more access to bank loans. They have more liquidity. They have often public stock they can sell to raise money. They have businesses or franchises that are distributed across the country. And as we open unevenly, they might be able to experiment with certain kinds of uh, in-store changes, whether it's uh, new temperature checks or, or new uh, hygiene uh, features. They can experiment with that across the country. They're not bound to one location. Um, meanwhile, for the mom and pops, it's going to be harder for them to hold their breath. And so many mom and pops in this country are run by immigrants. 
And right now you really see the supply chain of immigration, you know, shut down. You have the Trump administration trying to shut down immigration entirely. Um, but even if they failed, so many Latin American and Eastern Asian countries that supply most of our immigration, um, they are, are, are no one can basically move from their house. They couldn't migrate even if they wanted to. As a result, I think, you know, big picture, you know, this is going to be the kind of crisis that in the short term is just going to do a lot of bad stuff. You're going to see a lot of mom and pop stores die. You're going to see inequality increase and you're going to see big companies get bigger. Wow. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Ben in St. Clair Shores. Ben, welcome to the program. Hello, Stephen. Good morning. Hey, how are you? I am doing great, believe it or not. Good. Despite all of this going on with the sequestering, mm-hmm. I've practically been an isolator for the past five years since my wife died. Oh, oh, well, I'm sorry. I was about wearing that. the face mask over a decade now, having experienced uh, or observed that being done in Asia. So right before we got kicked out of work, I had a coworker come up to me and say, uh, you were ahead of the curve. <laughs> you were but you're prescient I'm calling there, about yeah. my unpleasant experiences with having to shop online. Huh. I can order hundreds of dollars worth of items, and when the delivery time comes, everything's coming in piecemeal. I don't like that. Steve. What What do you mean that it's coming in? That it's coming in yesterday. I'm outside cutting the grass in the back. I see the FedEx man drive by. I said, "Ooh, my kitchenette for my new house is here." I go on the front porch and all I see are the pedestals. Oh. No round table, no four chairs. I go to Lowe's. I make a large purchase. And I deliver it because of the uh, sequestering. I get stuff piecemeal. Hmm. This is the new norm. I'm <laughs> not crazy about this at all, Steve. You, you know, and having to get back to shopping on my own again, this is not great. Ben, I appreciate the call and the and the perspective. It's not something I have thought a whole lot about. Uh, but Derek Thompson, it, it, it does sort of point to the idea of adjustment or necessary adjustment on our on our part about you know expectations and and the way things uh, come to us. Uh, uh, talk about online shopping, and which, of course, is booming right now, uh, and, and what, what space it will occupy, I guess, in our, in our future. I'll say first that we are absolutely in a grand experiment of expectation setting, uh, and that applies to not only the timeline for when we can leave our homes, but also to what exactly we should expect when we place an online order. Sometimes it comes to us a perfectly formed uh, and exactly as we imagined. And sometimes it comes to us not like that at all. Um, and that's one of the uh, little quirks or little wrinkles that a lot of people are going to have to learn about online shopping if they're dipping their toe into certain parts of it for the first time, which is that it's not exactly the same certainty that you might get if you're literally picking up the thing in the store yourself. Um, often it is, but sometimes it's not. Um, sometimes it, it surprises or disappoints you. Um, in terms of online shopping, uh, here's the basic numbers. Right now, uh, online shopping is about 14% of total retail spending. Uh, it's growing about one percentage point a year, so 11, 12, 13, 14. Right now, you have bank analysts in, in New York City estimating that the share of online uh, of retail that's going to go online this year is going to be about 25%. That means, essentially, that it's a decade's worth of growth, 10 years, 11 years' worth of growth in just a matter of six months. 
So that is exactly the kind of acceleration that I'm talking about. And within that picture of acceleration, there's going to be a little bit of, of confusion and chaos. Amazon has already said that it can't, uh, it doesn't have the capacity to deliver everything uh, within the two-day window that it has typically promised. And as a result, it's warning a lot of people that if they're ordering something that is deemed unessential, it might not arrive uh, as quickly as it might in a non-crisis scenario. Uh, but you also have the growth of a lot of other online retailers, whether it's, you know, Walmart or Wayfair, uh, Instacart for, for delivery, because every, every online uh, uh, shopping company is also essentially a delivery company um, or, or has, to, has to intersect with a delivery company. And so I, I think that you're, you're seeing right now, even as one part of the economy, the physical retail economy has essentially had to suffer a big freeze. Uh, you have the online shopping economy dealing with this extraordinary acceleration where they have to suddenly plan for 10 years of growth in six months. So inside of that chaos, you're going to see some mistakes. Um, and I think that, uh, and this is a piece of advice that probably goes for public health as much as for economics and personal shopping, we just have to be patient. We just have to find uh, with, within us uh, that little kernel of patience because uh, it's going to be very, very difficult to have sort of pristine expectations for everything uh, in the middle of a plague. Mm. Uh, again, Ben, thanks very much for the call, and I hope uh, your your excursions into online shopping uh, start to go better, and that uh, things maybe arrive intact for you in the future. Let's let's go to Bradley in Detroit. Bradley, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. So I actually have a kind of unique situation where I had COVID nineteen a little over a month ago, hmm. and have since recovered. And it's opened up a whole host of different uh, opportunities, I suppose, for me. I'm, I'm the designated grocery getter of the household now, mm. um, having been recovered. And uh, alongside that, I actually own a, a small business in the financial business that has been affected uh, by the crisis, but not nearly as much as others. And so our goal for our, ourselves and our clients has been to try to uh, get uh, dollars to small businesses as much as possible, whether that's online gift cards to DoorDash so they can have uh, their local businesses delivered to uh, clients or to us, um, and then really trying to live a, an aspect of normalcy mm. post-COVID uh, because uh, we are fortunate now with uh, antibodies, et cetera, to be able to have a little bit more flexibility um, while also still wearing masks and protective equipment while out to make sure people are confident that we're doing what we can do. But uh, kind of a unique scenario, but still trying to use what we have to help people hmm. as much as possible. Oh, yeah. and, and interestingly enough, if, if I can throw in as a side note, um, I uh, signed up for the convalescent uh, plasma donation through the Red Cross hmm. and uh, as a recovered uh, patient. And one thing they pointed out is that there is actually a several-week-long wait list because of the amount of Michiganders who have signed up for that convalescent drive. Yeah. yeah. No, that's really that's really great news, uh, yeah. uh, Brad. Uh, uh, Brad, I wonder if you can talk about what you think the future looks like for your business uh, and and whether. Whether it will be, you know, it, it sounds as though you're, you're not doing horribly, but uh, do you worry about uh, things coming back together in a way that will look anything like they did before? Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things that we do is, uh, is 
portfolio management for people. And the thing I keep telling clients and, and colleagues is, at this point, it's about trying to separate wheat from the chaff from those who will be able to capitalize or, uh, or at least um, strengthen themselves through this process and finding those who will have to completely redesign themselves. Hmm. Um, if you have a small manufacturing company at the end of your street that's not going to make it, well, there might be a manufacturing company two streets down that does the same thing that's going to now be able to double overnight in capacity because they are able to uh, capture the base of uh, manufacturing that the other company had. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities out there for investors as well as for consumers to see this great trajectory of growth out of this. Mm. Uh, the question, of course, that we all still have is time frame. Yeah, yeah. Bradley, I really appreciate uh, the call and uh, you're sharing your experience, and I'm glad that uh, that you're doing better health-wise as as well. I'm sure that was really was really frightening. Uh, it was a, it was a scary time. I, I was down for only about two and a half days, and I tell people all the time, I I wouldn't have minded going through it if I knew it was going to be two and a half days. You just never know a day and a half in what's going to happen. What's going to happen? Sure, and so yeah. many people. So many people take a bad turn and and never recover. So um, yeah. I'm really glad that you had that experience. Okay, but, where did that go? Just, just, it, just like I tell everybody, keep your chin up, keep positive, keep safe, keep healthy, and we're all going to get through it. Yeah, yeah, we hope so. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Derek Thompson, staff writer at The Atlantic. We'll also continue to hear from you. Delphine and Warren, Drathan and uh, Kegel Harbor, Joan in Southfield, uh, we'll hear from you next as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET, Detroit's NPR station, celebrating 70 years of radio in Detroit. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Derek Thompson, staff writer at The Atlantic. We're talking about the tremendous changes uh, for small businesses and especially retail caused by the coronavirus pandemic. We want to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. What are the things that have changed for your business right now or what have has changed for you uh, as a consumer because of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Derek, before I get back to callers, I want to ask you about something because I know this is an area that you spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, I, I wonder what you make of the possibility uh, that one of the changes that will be inspired by this is corporate behavior as it relates to money and how that money is is deployed. So I, I read that right before the pandemic uh, sort of took over our lives, U.S. companies were sitting on $4 trillion in cash reserves. Uh, and then a few weeks later, I read about the Disney Corporation laying off 100,000 workers, but then saying that it expected to pay out uh, $1.5 billion to shareholders by the end of the year. Uh, these kinds of uh, uh, 
disparities, I guess, uh, have been with us for a long time. And I wonder if there is a possibility that this pandemic and the great needs that it highlights make us think differently about those things and inspire the potential for change. Yeah, that's a beautiful and big question. Um, you know, I'm going to take the, the the point about inspiration and, and, and broaden that a bit. You know, I think that the history of crises suggests that they can lead to a lot of really, really bad stuff. Uh, there was just a piece that came out, uh, a paper that came out from the New York Federal Reserve that suggested that in Germany, uh, after the influenza of 1918, the cities that were hit the hardest by that terrible uh, influenza uh, became significantly more likely to vote for the Nazi party 10, 15 years later. And so the shadow of influenza lived in the political system or, or hovered over the political system for more than a decade. That's definitely the, the dark side of a crisis like this. Um, the, the bright side, I suppose, is that you know, the history of cities is a history of one calamity after another. Um, Chicago burned down and New York flooded and mm-hmm. San Francisco suffered earthquake after earthquake and there's fires around Los Angeles and, you know, Washington, D.C. has been, I suppose, in a long history invaded by the British. You have, and that's just in the U.S., you have cities around the world. Uh, their history is, is just one suffering after another, but they often come back uh, stronger and more resilient um, and uh, sometimes even more diverse and interesting. And so the metaphor that I employed in this article is that of a forest fire. Uh, there's nothing happy about a forest fire while it's raging through the forest. It's flames and it's destruction, and it reduces a lot of plant life to ash. But when the sunlight reaches the forest floor, it often stimulates growth beneath the ash that ends up creating a new forest that can be more diverse and more resilient uh, than the forest that the fire destroyed. And so I do think that in the big picture, what we're looking at across a lot of American cities is something very much like a, a plague fire. I think that the next year or so is going to be really, really rough, really, really difficult for a lot of American cities. And that in the next few years after that, uh, the equilibrium might reset, um, prices might readjust, people might reevaluate, and we could see maybe a significant and interesting rebirth of the American city. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to Delphine in Warren. Delphine, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank Hi. you for taking my call. Sure. I originally had... Uh, was listening to Jackie, and I really admire her. As a matter of fact, I've been a friend of her mother's mm. through at the Detroit Women's Forum. Mm. But um, she kept saying how you have to be flexible, and she certainly has done that. They were bold when they went downtown. But every, all these businesses have to continuously, as she said, reinvent themselves. And I, I know we had a family wedding, and uh, I go to the mall if I want to get a dress. My daughter gets dresses sent to her and mm. keeps one and sends the other back, and they seem to be doing now with, that with COVID. But there's so, even whether you're in retail or wholesale, you have to continuously reinvent yourself. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Delphine, I really appreciate uh, the the call and and the comments and and that idea of reinvention. I think 
is something that's going to really take hold uh, in in this realm of our lives uh, for a long for a long time. Uh, let's go to Drathen in Kigo Harbor. Drathen, welcome to the program. Hi, Stephen. Thank you for a very wonderful show. Thank you. Um, I'm also a business owner, and um, uh, I own a phone company that, even though um, phone service is something that many businesses keep, I have a lot of clients, particularly in retail, that just can't pay their bills. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear about all the business owners that are doing what they can. There's no such thing as business as usual anymore. Um, we are all affected by this. Our collections are down, just like other businesses, even though, in, in theory, we are doing what we Uh, Drathen, I think we lost you there, um, but I, I appreciate the call and and that perspective. Um, Derek Thompson, we're almost out of time. I'll give you the, the the last word here about, I guess, again, expectations. What should we be expecting in the in the short term and in the longer term about all of this? Well. It's difficult to say what exactly we should expect concretely. Uh, what I try to do in this article is to offer a concrete picture of the future because I think that people need an element of, of some certainty in their lives. They need to be able to hang their thoughts on, on some clearly articulated future. And so I try to do that in this piece, but I did that with the humility that I can't predict the future and, and mm. nobody can. And so I do think that alongside a, a need to hang our expectations on something concrete about the future, we also need to get comfortable with a little bit of uncertainty. We need to make peace with a little bit of uncertainty because, you know, with a once-in-a-century plague, there, there isn't a roadmap, there isn't a playbook or a, a story we can easily tell ourselves about how this is going to go. No one has experienced anything like this before who's alive. And so I, I, I think that, you know, we should, um, in, in the very end, probably, you know, not being able to, to look out for, uh, to, to look toward the future, we should, we should look out for each other and recognize that this is really, really difficult on everybody. As so many of your callers have said, uh, this is a this is a universal shock, a universal crisis. And in that sense, it, it is a kind of uh, emotional equalizer, and we should recognize that and and you know and be good to each other. Okay, Derek Thompson, staff writer at the Atlantic, was really, really great to have you here with us on Detroit today. Thanks so much. Right, that's going to do it for me today. Remember that it is Giving Tuesday, and you can make your gift and share your message about who you would like to thank or honor right now at WDET.org. And all of those comments and more can be found on WDET's Facebook page. Come back tomorrow when we talk with Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson about voting in Michigan during a pandemic. Yes, it is election day here in Michigan in several municipalities and people are participating by mail in a way that they never have before. We will talk with Jocelyn Benson about how all of that goes. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.